mortgages can be a dry subject. So here's your oasis in the desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Bird to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience. Welcome to the LM Experience. I'm Stuart Gregory, along with Mr. Martin Stewart. Hi, Martin. Hello, Stuart. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Truly good. Well, I thought the interesting one today is um, we put a message or put a word out on social media about maybe just people sort of sending in some questions for us. And, and all, it looks like all 12 of our listeners have sent in a question, um, which was good of them. Um, I thought it would be quite interesting to do that because obviously, you know, it, it just keeps it a little bit interesting from from the listener's point of view. So um, should, we, should we just crack? On? Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's go into the first question. Um, so uh, this one's coming from Gareth Davies, uh, which is at GazD83 on Twitter. So he's clearly younger than both of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gareth's question is, do you think the help to buy scheme is being abused currently? And will it come back to bite people in the future? Abused by who? Abused by the by the developers. I think I was a big fan of help to buy when mm-hmm. it came in originally. I'm not too sure I'm a big fan of it. Now, we haven't done a lot of it either, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, we don't do a lot of new builds. Um, a lot of help to buy schemes are kind of, the, all the developers have their own in-house brokers and favourites. Yeah, it is an interesting process. I, I did one um, in the Winchester area just before Christmas. First one for ages, because mm. there's not a lot of new developments down in our area, to be honest. Um not at the level that it kind of gets deals like that, to be honest. Um, but the process of dealing with any any new build developer who has got their own in-house preferred set of brokers is very difficult process. Mm. Very difficult. Um, I, don't, I mean, do you think it's been abused? I think anything that any initiative that helped the first-time buyer and that did help the first-time mm. buyer, I think that that should be applauded. Yeah. Whether we still need that now, bearing in mind that house prices have definitely softened um, and there's stamp duty incentives for first-time buyers, do we do we really need help to buy anymore? I think, to be honest, what it needs to be is there needs to be a concerted effort, I think, from the government's point of view to go ahead and actually stick with these policies to a mm. certain extent. I mean, I had an inquiry very recently about the Starter Homes Initiative, which I'd forgotten about, Um which, so I've never heard of it. Now, <laughs> if you think, this is going back several years right. now. It was one launched by George Osborne at the time where the actual first-time buyers, they had to be under the age of 40, and they actually got, got a property, a new build property, 20% below market value. So slightly different perspective. Right. Now, the trouble is with it, I racked my brains, spoke to loads of lenders um, about the inquiry, and only came back with one or two lenders that were even interested in considering mm. it because they haven't got on board with it, because the government haven't run with it that hard either. So I think that's that's part of the problem, where where sometimes they kind of flit in and out and come up with these new schemes. Yeah. Like we used to get with, right, not with Right to Buy, but with um, on the perception of shared ownership, which yeah. was at one point years ago was great for everybody, and then suddenly all the lenders disappeared, and then you're left with very few options. So basically, come up with an initiative and just stick with it. Stick with Stop it. Stop trying to reinvent yeah. the wheel. Yeah, okay. Good question. That'd be good. Nice one for that, Gareth. Thank you for that. Got a question here from a young man in Yorkshire by the name of uh, Adam Hosker. Did you hear something then? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Adam Hosker, um, at Adam underscore Hosker. Uh, His question is, should a third party, not the original surveyor, assess any valuation appeals? Ah, interesting. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would totally, totally agree with that. Support that. You see many down valuations at the moment or, or, or you know, challenges. I've heard about a few. I've experienced a few as well. 
Um, I think the lender processes are very straightforward in terms of what the lenders request. However, I do think that the valuers, the third-party valuers that they use, get given far too much power. And the reaction from them is very much a case in a lot of instances. How dare you question our, our thoughts Integrity on this? Integrity and our professionalism. Yeah, and it, it's, it's simply a case of if you can provide comparable properties which are equivalent in size, rental market to the, the other property, they should be taken into account. And I think what tends to happen is that you you can waste a lot of time, which you, you don't feel you're wasting it at the time until afterwards. But if you get hit with a brick wall afterwards of basically we agree with the, the value or the value does not move their opinion, nine to that of ten, is anybody in any professional capacity going to go back on their own? But have we got time to absorb an appeal with a third party if it's a time-sensitive transaction? It sounds like it's layering and more admin and work and stress and hassle. All they need to have, for a mo- all most lenders would need to have would be one in-house valuer department. Reinstate it. Do what they got rid of 10 years ago when they stopped the employment and, and bring somebody back in that way okay. for appeals Fair only. Point. Fair point. Uh, next up, we have got a uh, tweet in from Kathy LMFS. That's Kathy Beaumont of London Money. Kathy, you managed to track her down? Yeah, but I think she's on a train. Well, she returns your calls. Did <laughs> um, she not return yours? No, whenever I ring her back, she says, I've been busy, we've been playing snooker. Oh, blimey. Now, Kathy's question. With the older borrowers coming to the end of their term of their interest-only mortgages, what should the lenders be doing to assist them? Well, I think we uh, covered that previously, didn't we, just very briefly. I think it probably warrants a whole podcast on its own. I'd maybe like to try and get a lender in and, and get some thoughts from them directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the, the banks need to take ownership of the problem because it's not going to go away. Yeah. Um, they need some dialogue um, with the regulator, mm-hmm. with the PRA maybe, um, and just come up with some sort of creativity whereby if they've maintained the mortgage payment for 10 years, with yep. no mispayments, mm-hmm. okay, and there's sufficient equity to give everyone a degree of security, Yeah, why can't they maintain that going forward? Makes sense. No, totally. Totally get that. Excellent. Good. So, next Thank, one. Thanks for that, Cathy. So, who we've got here? We've got, uh, we've got Dan White from Taunton. Taunton Dan, as we call him, at WFS Mortgages. Uh, he's had the audacity to send in two questions, actually. I've just seen this. That bloke really does like the sound of his own voice. Uh, which one are we going to go for? Let's go for this one. How can we prevent conditional selling? provide a clear, transparent process for buyers whilst also regulating agents and developers. This is probably a little bit like the um, uh, the competition review, I think, the regulators going through at the moment, whereby mm-hmm. um, it, it, is there a sufficient firewall between a consumer buying a property through an estate agent and uh, the estate agent also arranging the legal work and the solicitor work yeah. as well, as well as the mortgage? Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Um, it's a lot of dialogue. <laughs> isn't it to be honest it is and I, I think the thing is you've got various vested interests in the process yeah um, which I think is the difficulty there um, Reg- re- could we regulate a state agency in the same way that financial services regulated it would be nice mm, I if would it happen it. is there well I mean there, there was something was, didn't the property ombudsman pull out this week I think of, of, of monitoring the property sector which kind of leaves it open to self-regulation um, and our industry was self-regulated for, for many many years mm-hmm. um, and I don't think very successfully so it's a big transaction it's the biggest thing you'll ever buy I think why, if, why, why, are, why haven't we got more protection for the consumer in there I think the thing is I mean, if you follow a great deal of um, agents and, and property specialists on Twitter they all seek out to make sure that the customer has the best experience possible. 
and I think from their perspective as well, they also don't want their industry um, being trashed by means of the actions of others. Mm. And I think probably there would be a good movement that, that would support any sort of changes to bring in some form of regulation. Yeah, oh, well, I'm sure we'll find out in the years ahead. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Dan. Much appreciated. Um, now, on to, let's go to Sheffield. Um, Danny Clayton on Twitter says, at Danny underscore Clayton. Uh, his question is, should 100% mortgages be brought back to help first-time buyers only? No. Quick answer. Okay, fine. What about yourself, Stu? Um, I'm not a fan. No, never no, have I been a fan of 100% lending. No, I think I think we've had issues there in the past. That there, we discussed initiatives for first-time buyers out there. House prices are softening. What might be a 95% mortgage or 100% mortgage today can suddenly be a negative equity tomorrow. Um, I just don't. I think you have to put some skin in the game mm-hmm. to borrow a lot of money. Uh, I think it's only right to ask for a deposit. Okay, no problem at all. Right, thank you for that, Dan. Much appreciated. Thank you, Dan. I'm going to go to Chris. But I feel like a real proper radio DJ here. I'm going to go to Chris Budd in Bristol. Shame we, can't, shame we can't afford a phone in. Um, uh, this is uh, Chris is actually an IFA, fully enough, and uh, he is at, at Ovation Chris. Um, this is about life insurance. He said, if you don't have dependents, what is the point of mortgage protection? Mm. Controversial. Yes. Um, I, I see, yeah, I mean, there is an issue. I mean, I remember in the early days when we were part of a, a large national and um, and we had huge compliance oversight that you couldn't uh, you couldn't recommend life insurance to someone if they were single with no kids well I, th- I think to be honest you've got a situation there where if you are expected to have honest dialogue with your client you need to be asking the soft background information about their circumstances and on that front from there as well there is I think there is still the argument for having the discussion with the client on the basis of um, don't like talking about it, but in the event of you passing away, what would you like to happen to your property? It's just housekeeping, isn't it? On a on a very large level, it's just making sure that you, whatever family you've got, be it a brother, sister, or parents, aren't left having to sell a house quickly because well, you exactly. didn't put a policy in, in trust yeah. and leave it to the ones you wanted to leave it to. But, and the other argument as well is, it's not going to get any cheaper for these people. No. You know, we see a lot of people coming for life insurance now in their 40s who've mm-hmm. had illnesses in the past which will exclude them from a number of things yeah. and very expensive premiums as a result. So I think buy it now while you can. Yeah, so the, the, there's various sort of reasons there where it could be reviewed. I Good think, question, Chris. Right. Now, thank you for that, Chris. Much appreciated. On to another Chris. Chris Barker on Twitter, at gummo, G-U-M-M-O, 31, uh, from Todd Morden. Hi, Chris. Um, do you think the industry does enough to recruit talent and keep it? I think we've got a huge issue with uh, growing the numbers in the industry to a degree. Um, it's the same on the IFA side. We've, we're getting people coming through who've got all the qualifications in the world but no experience. Mm-hmm. And at the other end, you've got people with huge amounts of experience but no qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just trying to blend those two together, I think. Yeah. Um, so is there, is there, I think there are, I mean, there are some firms that have very, very good sort of um, training programs bringing people in, um, but that maybe suits the larger brokerages who've got more of a conveyor belt mm-hmm. type of arrangement. Um, we personally find it very hard to recruit people because um, good brokers don't really want to move mm-hmm. because they don't have to. And you really want a broker that, that that's had four or five positions in the past 12 months whose LinkedIn profile looks like the yellow pages. It's got so many companies on it. Do you really want that kind of person? So finding right people mm-hmm. is a difficult thing for the industry. Yeah. 
No, that makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, right. Uh, question here. Andrew Montlake from London at Monty's blog. Everybody knows who Monty is. He's an industry legend, and I should know that because every time I see him, he tells me he is. Uh, he actually sent three questions in. Uh, I'm going to give you the first one. <laughs> and I know you have gone for the third one that involves Liverpool. <laughs> we'll leave that one for another day. Van Dyke. Why, why, do, why do people on social media portray themselves as something they want to be rather than as who they are? That's a deep question, Monty. You must have been on the beer when you sent that one in. Uh, social media is an interesting thing, isn't it, Stu? I mean, we're quite mm. active on that. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a crucial tool for business, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle to get it right, and not many people do. Yeah, I, I think with it, to be honest, you've just got to be sensible. To be honest, mm. don't put yourself out there as, as if you've got an office which has got fifteen staff in it. If yeah. you're working in your box room, yeah, um, I think that's the thing, and it's it's also a case of as well that um, social media can be a useful vehicle for promoting yourself th- through other means beyond what some people in high towers might view as being beyond your station in inverted commas well, I, just, I, I see it as a, as a shop window that, that, that 30 million people can look in every day yeah. that's why I think it's important exactly um, and I think you Monty's right you've got to get the balance you've got to show that you're a flawed human being behind it because that's the bit that's actually interesting yeah balance it out with some professional thought and, and a little bit of light human stuff along the way and I think you've got a very good social media presence well there's a very good established networking company that bases itself on me meeting people liking them knowing them and trusting them mm. and i think that's where social media comes into its own because you've got yeah. the ability there to do that absolutely actually, i'm just going to i'm going to do actually monty's second question because it's been quite a heated debate in the industry at the moment uh, will the seconds market ever really take off hmm what do you think this year could be the year i think it will do i think it will do i think there's still lots of work to be done um in order for professional mortgage brokers to to embrace it um and we all know what that is that's the fees um i think it's an essential product we've we've bailed many a client out with a good second charge um mortgage in the past mm-hmm. um and they're there for a reason i think it will grow um and i think a little bit of influence from the regulator um mm-hmm. some influence from the lenders um and some professionalism across the board I think the industry will do, will do very well in the years ahead. Yeah, no problem at all. Excellent. Right, moving on to the next one. Um, we've got from Jack Highwood in London, at Jack Highwood on Twitter. Hi, Jack. Um, what are our thoughts on non-fee charging brokers? Good luck to I don't know how you can operate in this market without charging to cover your initial time and costs at all. Um I, I, we, we charge very fair fees. Uh, sometimes we waive them for, for various reasons. Sometimes we reduce them slightly, um, but we will endeavour to charge a fee because the, all our work and our costs are front-end loaded, um, and I'm not prepared to absorb them for somebody else. Well, my, my theory on it has always been the same, which is the fact of that um, it's an open market for people to do as they please. However, what I don't like to see is when the only argument people can put forward is that X is better than Y because they're free. That doesn't shouldn't come into it. I've seen it's, some very poor advice from uh, brokers that don't charge fees. Yeah, I mean that, that, there are good advisors and bad advisors on the mm. fee charging front yeah, and absolutely. also on the free front. But I think overall, with it, nobody should be demonised for their choice of how they trade. However, I think the argument is weighted more heavily in fee charging brokers' favour in terms of not of the work they do but basically with regards to the fact of the need to charge. Yes. If you look at procuration fees being at 2007, 2008 levels, as they still are in most cases, and you look at the regulatory costs, which increase year on year, PI cover doesn't get any cheaper every year. So in that respect, my question is not a case of why are you doing it? It's a case of why are you not charging 
when you've got these overheads. Correct. And I, I think that's the thing. I think you get what you pay for and you only have to look at free legals as a good example. And if you want to be deemed to be a professional person going forward, then you charge for your time accordingly, as all good professionals do. And on that bombshell, Stu, I think we've reached the end. The time is now. Time is now. Um, now, with regards to our next set of podcasts, we shall shortly be bringing in with us as well some guests. So Absolutely. we've got some lined up already, but if you would like to appear, if you're involved within mortgages of property, or if you're a consumer and you'd Ooh. like to have a chat about various things that you've experienced or things like that, please let us know. Questions and answers, we will come back to this again in the future, so please send them in um, at the LM Experience on Twitter, and uh, we will include them in the future edition of the show. Well, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed that, and thanks for all those questions. There's some really interesting stuff there. Um, so uh, this, let's just wrap this up then. This is episode six. six. It's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Roland number seven. Stu, thank you for your time. Thank you also, Martin, and we look forward to speaking to you all soon. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party, and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it. Mm-hmm.